It is God and was God who selected the priest who would minister to him, bringing his word to the people and bringing the people's representatives to him. Very interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, taking you from Genesis to Revelation in one year. We're learning the Bible. This is a fascinating read and a look at what we're doing today. Now, today, as we continue in Exodus, Corey and Ryan are here. Corey? I'm going to be taking a look at the overall arrangement of the camp of Israel in the wilderness and how it relates to the cultures surrounding it. Ryan? Were the angelic beings known as cherubim the real inspiration behind mythological creatures like the Sphinx and Griffin? That's the question I'm going to be dealing with today on the program. That's very interesting. Next 30 minutes, what did we do, Jen? Well, my segment is called Be Different. All right, there it is. Now get your Bible guide out, turn your Bible to the page that the Bible guide tells you, and let's begin to study. Exodus 28, verses 1 through 4. Now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as priest, Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. Exodus chapter 28, verses 1 through 4. Exodus 26 to 29. This is really good today as we begin our journey to continue through reading through the Bible over 32 years, 32nd time. Most ancient religions had specific things that they would wear to convey meaning and worship. Now, the Hebrews were no different that way. They too were commanded to make specific garments for the priest. Now, while the idea was not unique to Israel, the design and the meanings of the outfits were unique. On a base level, the garments of the priest identified those chosen by God to serve. But there was much symbolism incorporated into them as well. Also, the outfit ranged, pieces ranged from extremely simple to very ornate. God had chosen Aaron and his sons to be the priest. And he spoke to Moses, saying, Make the holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. Exodus 24. God set up this family to represent God to the people, and in turn to offer the people's sacrifices to God on their behalf. Now, this is important to understand and remember. So I want you to pay attention to it. Take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. 
And if you don't have a Bible guide, why not? You can write, we'll send you one call or write to us, or here's a better way. Go to Bible Discovery TV and click on the Bible guide. And then it will take you to the place where you can download it, Exodus 28, 1 to 4. And let me tell you something, uh, you're seconds away, literally. And you can download it as it's printed, be a part of that and become a member. Uh, and how you do that is a member is somebody who donates to us regularly. So thank you for that. You don't have to do that, but I would encourage you to pray about it. And it doesn't matter how much God will speak to you. We trust the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And so just do whatever God tells you and we'll go from there. That's how we're supported. Today, priestly garments and and. When we get into this, a lot of people question it, thinking, why did God put this in the Bible? Well, I think there are several reasons. One of the reasons we're going to talk about today. So let's pray. Father, I, I pray today by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would teach us your way and show us your path. Now, what I mean by that is, Lord, show us what you're saying to us. We don't want to speak to you in this, but we want to hear from you to speak to us, change our hearts. So, Lord, we read the Bible today listening to you in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of us together said, Amen. Now, if you are a Christian, somebody who has chosen to follow Christ, listen carefully. If you are not a Christian, welcome. Good to have you here. And you can observe what we teach and perhaps come to the Lord. It's up to you. Exodus 28, verse 1. One verse, that's all it is. Listen to this because it's fascinating. Now, take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me, that's God, as priest. Did you see that? That he may minister to me as priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Now, this is absolutely amazing, beloved. God selected his priests for ministry between himself and the people. God selected his priest for ministry between himself and the people. He does not change. We are chosen to become God's priests to this world. I just need, I need to ask you a question. This is really important. How does the world know that God exists? He knows God exists because he sees the work of God from outside this earth in you and in me. So as we allow the Lord to work in us, God changes us and they see that. Very, very important. Anytime you see that people, you know, going in the wrong direction or whatever, you can tell the God's working in their life, but they're not paying attention. So we need to understand that, beloved. Now keep that in your mind because we're going to read verses two and three, which tell us even more. And you shall make holy garments, holy garments for Aaron and your brother for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate or set him apart, that he may minister to me, that he may minister to me as priest. Did you see that? Now, God calls Aaron to be unique. 
so that he can minister to and from God as priest. Now listen carefully. As Christ followers, we represent the attitudes of God. How's your attitude today? If you're like me, you have to say, oh, Lord, help me. My attitude has to be right. You see, beloved, God takes us, changes us, and he addresses the things inside of us that need to be addressed. And as he does that, it is not easy. Oh, it's a great life, but it's not easy. We begin to change. We cannot change without God. God's Holy Spirit changes us, beloved. We need to remember that. Now, as we think that through, let's go on to the last verse, because I think you're going to find it fascinating as well. Here is what it says. It says, and these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, a sash, so they shall make holy garments, for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. Minister to me as priest. Now, God commands what we should wear in our hearts and our minds to do God's will. You see, that's important. And Christian, listen to me. Follow God with all of his help we work to become like Jesus in this world. Remember, God has selected us to live in this time. God has chosen us to live right now. God has spoken to our hearts. And as people who believe in Jesus Christ, we need to say, okay, Lord, I believe in you. Now, what does that mean? It means I have to allow you to be Lord of my life. And so I don't do anything without praying first and keeping that conversation between God and yourself consistently going. Because if you seek the Lord and you become born again, John 3, 16, then you understand that God speaks to you on a regular basis and changes you and positions himself in the midst of this world that people can see the work of the Lord. Beloved, that's how we show God's divine ability to change us. Now that becomes very, very important. So let's remember to keep the conversation open, to read our Bible and pray daily so that we have that conversation with God on a regular basis. Jesus Christ spoke to us and told us not to be afraid not to be troubled by these times. This is the beginning of the end. This is the beginning of God's final reconciliation with the world. God is going to make things change in our lives. And this is very important. He has selected you and myself to live in this time. And I find that absolutely amazing. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study. And today we read Exodus chapters 26 through 29. And here we read about God's instructions for the building of the tabernacle. And there's one specific detail that I want to focus on today. And that's the inclusion of images of cherubim. The cherubim, of course, was a common image among the Israelites as it was included in the tabernacle and later the temple. 
But here's something you, that you may have never thought about. Could there be a connection between these very real angelic beings and the later mythological creatures like the Sphinx and Griffin? Are these mythological creatures a corruption of the real angels? Well, let's study. There are many incredible and fanciful tales of heroes and gods, magical creatures and the like. The half-god, half-human hero Hercules is a prime example. Other popular fables include the exploits of the wizard Merlin, along with King Arthur and his famous Knights of the Round Table. While all agree that these stories are merely myth and legend, it is also generally agreed that many of these tales have some basis in reality, no matter how small. Indeed, when we follow the development of myth, it can be observed that over time, history can be made into myth, and myth can become more mythical. It is not difficult to imagine how a true story could become inflated and corrupted as it is told and retold by many different cultures throughout the ages. The same seems to be true for certain mythological creatures, in particular those which are animal-human hybrids, such as the Sphinx and Griffin, though it appears that the various portrayals of these creatures are closer to reality than one might expect. In any attempt to separate fact from fiction, we must consider the biblical record, which has repeatedly demonstrated itself as a reliable and truthful account of history. Interestingly, one does not have to look too far into the biblical text to discover a possible connection. That's because in just the third chapter of Genesis, we are introduced to those heavenly creatures called cherubim. Interestingly, the Bible describes these angelic beings as having both animal and human-like features, such as wings, human hands, and multiple faces, including that of a man, lion, and eagle. And their primary function seems to be that of guardian or protector. With this important role, it is obvious why images of cherubim were found everywhere in the Israelite tabernacle and temple. But images of these guardians are not exclusive to Israel. Cherubim-like figures are found in ancient Near East iconography on everything from monumental architecture in temples and palaces to reliefs and seals. Because their true image was eventually lost over time, the cherubim are variously depicted as creatures that are composites of human and animals. In Sumer, the figures are of winged humans. In Egypt, Syria, and Israel, the figures are of winged humans or a composite of a lion and a human, known as a sphinx. In Assyria and Babylon, a winged bull and a human, and in Greece, a bird and a human, also called a griffin. But despite their various appearances, their role as protectors and guardians remain the same, for images of such creatures have been found flanking the thrones of kings or placed at the entrances to temples. A prime example is the golden throne of King Tutankhamun, which has arms made like winged lions, and his burial chamber is surrounded on four sides by pairs of winged human figures. Based on these findings, it seems likely that these mythological creatures are images based upon the very real angelic beings known as cherubim. So are the mythological human-animal creatures really a corrupted image of God's angelic order? Well, it is a real possibility. And notice what we've done here today as far as our approach goes. We've accepted the Bible as a divine revelation and as truth and have allowed it to have authority over our thinking and allowed it to direct our thinking. And doing this makes a lot more sense of the world. There's a lot of confusion in the world today, but if more people simply trusted God's word and applied it in every area, there would be a much greater understanding. Remember, the Bible is that light that lights our paths.
One of the important things to remember is that we have animals, many animals on the planet. We've lost many animals since the beginning of time. Uh, and, uh, but, but we have this expression, what we believe, of God. And you look at the animals and you begin to understand, well, wait a minute. God didn't just make them because you see the possibility that God copied what was there. And they have sinned. We, we sinned and they have been affected by sin. Now, we know that from Romans chapter 8. It says that all creation groans, you know, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. And I find that amazing. So this is really something we could get off on this all day long, but we're not going to. We don't have time. Anyway, very good, Ryan. Excellent. Uh, Corey. All right. So today I'm going to be talking about the tabernacle and the camp of Israel in the wilderness wandering period. Often when we approach the Old Testament of the Bible, because we're so far removed from the time period of Moses, uh, we don't know a lot about ancient Egyptian cultural cu culture, generally speaking, just as people coming to read the Bible. We tend to see God establishing the tent tabernacle and the camp as a completely unique project that he was doing, something that he was starting from scratch. But what if it's not so much from scratch? Take a look. The Bible meticulously describes the construction of the Israelites' tent tabernacle twice in Exodus. Later in Numbers, the Bible explains that Israel was required to camp in a certain way around the tabernacle, in a rectangular fashion and oriented east to west. While the average Bible reader may struggle with the monotony of the descriptions, these details have not only helped to explain the theological underpinnings of Israel, but have also redeemed the tent tabernacle from skeptical scholarship of the 19th century that believed it to be imagined by a post-exile priest, in reality just a derivative of the temple to retroactively explain the worship system of Israel and justify the importance of an Israelite priesthood. But this theory has serious flaws. The tabernacle is only superficially related to the temple and does not appear to be derivative. And the tabernacle and its camp are very closely related to religious and military tents from the 3rd and 2nd millennia BC. A priest inventing the account in the Persian period would have reflected religious structures from their time. So what tent structures closely resemble the Israelite tabernacle? The research of several scholars has been instrumental in revealing the very ancient comparatives to the tabernacle that bring us decisively to Egypt. Portable tents were used for religious and secular purposes as early as Egypt's first dynasty. They served as places to conduct religious ceremonies associated with mummification, as demonstrated in tomb paintings and as evidenced by fragments of remaining poles and frames. The secular use of portable tent structures at this time were mainly for outdoor lounging, attested to by the gold-covered wooden rods and joints to a queen's pavilion discovered in her tomb. Closer to the time of the biblical tabernacle is the New Kingdom of Egypt, when the use of tent structures had proven valuable in warfare. An amazing parallel to the tabernacle of God can be seen in the war camp of Ramesses the Great. Surviving illustrations show a rectangular camp oriented east to west with Ramesses' tent near the center. The tent is divided into a reception area and a throne room, remarkably similar to the layout of the tabernacle with its reception area and the Holy of Holies that housed the Ark with its mercy seat. 
The last known examples of Egyptian tents in this form and used for this purpose come from the 12th century BC, the biblical time of the judges. The author of the tabernacle accounts accurately describes a tent and camp of Israel that fits into a very ancient Egyptian context. Moreover, the Bible describes that Israel left Egypt prepared for war. Is it any wonder then that they would be arranged in a way that was familiar to them while installing God as their king and fierce leader? Now, whenever I talk about issues like this, uh, it People aren't always used to thinking about uh, the religion of God in this way or, or the way God dealt with ancient Israel. And they, some people can get upset. Uh, and if this is you, it, it makes sense to me why this can be upsetting because uh, it seems to take away from the uniqueness of God's work with and in and through Israel. But that's not... Uh, what we should be focused on, what this is telling us, we can't just deny what's there, that there are cultural parallels and that God decided to use these cultural images uh, to speak to the Israelites. What it does is it lets us know part of the character and the nature of God in that he approaches Israel in a way that they will understand. He uses their cultural imagery, their cultural symbols, the, the way that they're used to interacting in the world, and then he transforms them to let them know something about who he is. So this is actually a mercy of God to the Israelites that he's speaking to them in a way that they will best understand. So uh, it can be a little bit uh, jarring at first for us to realize that there are cultural parallels to this, but then the deeper that we look into it and the more that we think about it, it really goes along with who God says that he is in the scripture. Someone who wants all men to be saved and someone who is willing and able to create relationships, meaningful relationships with mankind. So it's just something to think about. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, Ryan. That's excellent studies and very, very fascinating. Really good. Okay, Janice? Well, we're talking in Exodus 28 about garments for the priesthood. And I titled my segment, Be Different. You know, Aaron and his sons were not only set apart by God and anointed for the priesthood, he also made them unique in the garments that he required be designed for them to wear. Now, we learn in Exodus 28 that the ministry of the priests was for the sake of the people, but its principal focus was toward the Lord. God said um, uh, Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. It got my mind into thinking that these holy garments were made holy by their concentra- uh, consecration to God's service as the materials of the tabernacle had been also. Now we are sanctified as believers in Jesus Christ with his sacrifice and shedding of his blood on the cross. When we accept that, when we say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you were born of a virgin, that you died on a cross to pay for my sins, that your shed blood is what cleanses me. And I accept that and I ask you to be Lord of my life. A sanctification process begins in our lives. We don't become perfect. We won't become perfect until in eternity we will be new, 
we will be a brand new creation in the Lord Jesus. But we are consecrated by the blood of Jesus when we repent to him and we receive his forgiveness for our sins. It's the Lord Jesus who cleanses and dresses us in new white garments. We learn about that in Revelation. And according to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Also, when we read here, it says, and these are the garments which they shall make. This was for Aaron in the priesthood, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that he may minister to me as priest. It reminded me of Paul writing in Ephesians, how that our battle is not physical anymore because of the work that Jesus has done. Our battles are spiritual ones. And he admonishes us to wear the armor of God as believers to put on the armor of God every day. You can read that in Ephesians 6 if you don't you don't know what I'm talking about. But here are the pieces of the armor of God that as believers we should put on in our spiritual beings every day. Gird your waist with the belt of truth or with truth. The breastplate of righteousness. It says, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace so that wherever we walk, wherever we go, we can bring the gospel message of the good news of Jesus Christ to the people that we meet every day. Take up the shield of faith. Put on the helmet of salvation. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And this is another important part that a lot of people don't include, Rod, in the armor of God. And that's praying, praying always. And that is so vitally important. There's also just in the last 35 seconds that I have here, a very interesting encounter that you will read about in Zechariah chapter three. If you stay with us, we'll be getting into Zechariah, but beforehand, if you wanna check that out, there's a really amazing scene with Joshua, the high priest in the heavenlies and the angel of the Lord is present and Satan is there standing and he is opposing, he's resisting, he's accusing Joshua and the um, angel of the Lord answered and spoke to those who stood before him saying, take away the filthy garments from him. And to him, to Joshua, the angel of the Lord said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with rich robes. Thank you for joining us today as we study this passage of Scripture. Now, we're 3.30 Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 3.30 Eastern Standard Time. We are on Facebook and YouTube at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. We're also on Bible Discovery TV. So go there and we'll pray for you. It's a live prayer meeting. We do it all week. So today we pray, Lord, I want to seek your ways and I want to follow your paths. Help me today in Jesus' name. 
and we said together, 